Welcome to the Excel Still More podcast. I am your host, Chris Emerson. I'm here to encourage you in your walk with God. Thank you for joining in. Today's podcast is sponsored by a wonderful company, Creation to Revelation. This group of Christians believe it is extremely important that we teach the Word of God to our kids. They have original graphic illustrations from the beginning of the Bible to the end, featuring the beautiful and consistent presence of Jesus throughout. You can explore all of that at creationtorevelation.com. I'm so thankful you're here, so let's get started. Okay, so today's episode seems quite simple and straightforward. Jesus told us to love our enemies. What he means by that is clearly seen in his ministry. He means that we are to care about those people. We want their souls to be saved. We pray for them, and we treat them like we would want to be treated. It would seem like you and I could just explore those elements in depth and then go out and do it. But for me, it is a lot more challenging than that. And maybe not for the reasons you would initially think. It's not like, okay, I know exactly who my enemy is, and I'm just having a really difficult time treating them fairly, or I just can't bring myself to pray for them. I know there were times in my past when those things were true, but I credit the grace of God in my life and a growing closeness to Jesus as the divine reason why I typically don't have those struggles in that way anymore. If you do have those issues, you know exactly who it is, and you just can't be kind then I do think today's episode will be beneficial for you, but for me, it's complicated for other reasons. I have lots of questions about my enemies. First of all, what is an enemy? When I look at the biblical concept of enemies, I'm not sure that I really have any. If someone doesn't like me, does that make them my enemy? Or if they simply don't believe in me or believe the words that I say, is that enemy material? Have you ever wondered about that? I mean, when I look at the biblical model of an enemy of Israel, they wanted to murder the Israelites. They wanted to devour all of their goods. When I read about enemies of Christ and the cross in the New Testament, they were hated by unbelievers, and those were very clear-cut enemies. So I want to explore a little bit today on what an enemy even is, which brings about for me a second question. Who are my enemies? Do I know them by name? And if I presented to you what they have done or what they are doing, would you say they are an enemy of mine? Just to be a bit personal, I would put it to you in this way. If I wrote down the names of the people who I knew did not like me, people who framed my words in the worst light, who do not believe in me and do not even believe me when I speak, pretty much everyone on that list considers themselves to be a Christian. So how does that work? Are believers in Jesus my enemy? But then comes a question even tougher than that. If I have identified this person, maybe for you it's someone in your family, someone even among God's people, or certainly someone in the world who opposes you for your faith in the Lord, how do we go about loving those people? What is the right way to interact with them? Because I have to tell you, my natural way to address that does not work very often. My thing is like, okay, you clearly have a big issue with me, and you think things about me that I hope aren't true. Let me get on an airplane, and I'll fly over there, and let's do a three-hour lunch, and let's believe in each other in Christ. Let's lay our disagreements out on the table. Let's find some common ground, 
build on what we know, learn from each other, and leave as friends. Now, in my personal experience, that has certainly worked a few times. Although I'm not convinced we were enemies to begin with, and maybe that's the reason that it worked. They may still come away disagreeing with some of the things that I do or say, and me the same with them. But we have mutually decided that our best pathway towards unity is in a healthy friendship. But I have to tell you, and maybe you know exactly what I'm talking about, more often than not, those things don't seem to work. Some people don't want to meet and talk. They don't want to build or rebuild a friendship. They have opposition to you, seated in their heart. And while they often think they're doing the right thing, somehow that thing always includes opposing everything you try and do. I pray that that is not true in your inner circle, in your marriage or in your home, but in some cases it might be. This ought to never be true among God's people, in local churches or in the body of Christ, but we both know that sometimes it is. And perhaps more expectedly, as you stand for morality from Scripture in this world, you will draw the ire of people who want to live immorally and do not like what you stand for. Though, of course, the dynamic changes a little bit there because it's often you going to them saying, hey, I really think you need to change some of what you're doing. In those cases, which sometimes shows up in the family or in the church, they simply do not want to listen or change, and so they repudiate everything you stand for. I just think personally it hurts a lot more when we're talking about people who proclaim the love of Jesus in their lives. But anyway, my point is, sometimes none of that works. Sometimes just staying away from them, just going on with your life, is not only the best recourse, it's the only one. In those cases, which continue to be a great frustration to me personally, it takes me back to what Jesus said. That may be a true enemy. A relationship that cannot be mended. No attempt you make will make it better. Everything you try will be turned against you. In those cases, not uniquely, but especially, you need to be praying for those people. Have you ever been in a situation in your life where praying was the only thing that you knew to do and the only thing that you believed would help? You were all out of ideas, and it was time to give that thing or that person over to the Lord. In truth, of course, we should be doing that from day one, especially in the case of an enemy where the only way the situation can change is if the power of God changes them. So if it's okay with you, in a few minutes at the end of the episode, I want to reintroduce you very briefly to the perfect prayer plan derived directly from the life of Jesus, including the tenth and final piece for how to pray for your enemies. But before that, let's reset this thing just a little bit. Those two questions at the beginning still present difficulties for me, even after preparing for this episode. What is an enemy? And how would you know if someone in your life who doesn't like you or support you fits in that category? I did some basic word study on the English usage of the word and also the word for enemy that Jesus put into his Sermon on the Mount. And you come away with a lot of different adjectives and verbs, things like being antagonistic to another, seeking to injure them or overthrow them or confound them. The biblical word means to be hostile hating, which is literally the absence of love, or a form of opposing that is non-biblical. Odious was a word that was used where you are repulsive to them, or perhaps it manifests in them being hateful to you. 
But the thing is, those are just words, and I could do definitions for the rest of the episode on each one of those words. And while they may help put a name to a face, broken, irreparable relationships are really about experiences. They're about the emotional burden that you have with someone else, or maybe even a pain that you carry, lamenting that things can't be right, or knowing that there's someone out there waiting on you to fail. But I will say this, those words tend to talk about active aggression against another. In fact, the most basic Google definition of enemy is actively opposed or hostile to someone. So let me give you a series of thoughts in the back half of this episode. First of all, I think you and I ought to be very thankful. There certainly might be people who don't like you or who don't understand you. There may be people very close to you who do not treat you well. But in terms of the enemies that God's people have faced throughout the centuries, we are very blessed. I'm not making light of the emotional burden that you bear or the hatred among family that even Jesus talks about being very painful. But I am thankful to say that I know of very few people who want to hurt me or want God to hurt me because of who I am. I mean, those enemies do exist It's just that we don't have a personal relationship with them. There are people in the world who are actively anti-Christian, who have hostility towards Christians, and do not have the moral compass that would keep them from hurting us. But for the most part, those people do not live in this country, and you are not asked to interact with them on a regular basis. There are other people who hate America, and because I'm an American, they would do me harm if they had the chance. But again, I'm much more thankful that where I get to live in this life, I am mostly insulated from those things. So maybe the first observation for me personally is to stop whining so much, to not throw a pity party because someone said something mean about me, or there was something passive-aggressively targeting towards me on social media. David in the Psalms prayed for protection from his enemies, like for God to keep them from killing him. And for the most part, God has blessed me and most likely you every day of our lives in that way. So I do think a little bit of perspective is in order so we don't use language that is unfair. This person is my enemy. Well, maybe not. Maybe they just don't understand you. This person hates me. Well, maybe not. Maybe they just don't know how to love you. This is not to take away from enemy-like behavior in people around us. I do want to talk more about that. I think just firstly, we should turn the drama or DEFCOM knob down just a little bit so we can stay filled with gratitude and hope and peace. In other words, if someone that I have in my mind right now never wants to repair our relationship and says the worst possible things about me, I am still safe in Christ and in the place where I get to live and I feel like my family is safe and God has been very good to us. And to me, that is a very important thing to remember and to keep things from escalating unnecessarily and too quickly. Okay, but how do you deal with people who may not be the technical definition of enemy, but who fairly actively oppose you and do not believe in you? Well, listen up. I don't know if it's the ESM journey or the daily Bible read or just recognizing the immense grace of God, but I have made the decision to feel compassion For those people. Maybe another way of putting it is to say, I feel sorry for them. This is not to say that they're entirely wrong and I am entirely right. More on that in a minute. 
I make a lot of mistakes, but just that enemy-like hostility that sees no path to unity, it is very clear that something of the devil has seeded somewhere in their heart, if that's where they are. Something like we find in Galatians 5, maybe enmity, or strife, or jealousy, or outbursts of anger, or disputes, or dissensions, or factions, or envying. It's kind of like we say about bullies. Bullies should not be hurting other people. But the reason behind it is some brokenness in them. And when you recognize that, their behavior still has to be curbed, and there must be consequences. But ultimately, finding out what healing they need and feeling some sense of compassion for their at least probable brokenness is a more Christ-like approach. It reminds me of 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 20-26, through 26, which talks about being a vessel for the Lord, and it talks about not being quarrelsome or pushing issues that are of no good, and being gentle even when opposed, patient with all, seeking to teach them, not because they are evil, irredeemable people, but because they have simply been ensnared by the devil, and what they need is someone to help them be set free. So again, several thoughts here pertaining to enemies in your life. One is, let's keep that relative and not get carried away. Number two, feel some sense of compassion for what is hurting them, or what is confusing them, or how the devil is misdirecting them. If you can help, help. But all of your interactions with people who do not like you ought to be intended to help, as opposed to the sometimes natural inclination to defeat them or maybe even humiliate them. Another very important part of the process is self-evaluation. Whoever is upset with you, chances are they are upset for what they believe to be a legitimate reason, maybe even a noble biblical reason. Maybe they just want to be heard and they want the truth of their argument to be acknowledged. And I'm the kind of person who says, if you come to me and you're upset with me and you don't like me, I probably made a mistake. Of course, again, I'm looking to approach that conversationally with a shared love for one another in Jesus to work through it. But even if someone isn't willing to do so, I believe there is something to learn from each and every interaction and maybe especially ones that are unpleasant. So my thought is, How do I make sure that I am not an enemy to them? An enemy doesn't give any credit. It doesn't acknowledge any progress. Enemies nearly never apologize. It's a staple among them. They rarely ever say, I'm sorry. But I don't want to become the very person who opposes me. I need to figure out what mistakes have I made here. I need to be open with them and say I made a mistake. Or I'm going to do that differently or I appreciate the insight. Now, here's the trouble with that. With a friend, you go through that process, and you hug it out, and you move forward. With an enemy, they probably will not be happy with it. But can I learn something and be a friend no matter how they respond? Am I willing to learn something from this even if they aren't? Now, you and I both know that is not easy, but this is why Galatians 5 is so valuable to us. Not just the list of qualities we don't want, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I have suggested in episodes past that you memorize all nine of those and pick one each morning 
to pray about, and to carry out regardless of what other people do. And again, if it's not a true enemy, they will respond well to the fruit of the Spirit. And if it is, well, you've done two right things. You've felt a heart of compassion for what is trapping them there, and you have looked to yourself to make sure that you are behaving like Jesus and not like those who opposed him. Okay, speaking of Jesus, let's circle back to his instruction about loving our enemies and praying for them as we get to the end of this episode. Certainly, we should pray for our enemies, whatever we perceive that to be, all throughout the process. But oftentimes, I've put more effort into trying to fix it through choices that I make instead of just handing it over to God. And I am just about certain that you know the frustration that comes from not being able to do anything in your power to make it better. So let's do what Jesus said. Let's turn it all back over to God, and let's ask God to step in and do his work for the benefit of those who oppose us and ultimately our relationship. I will put this in the show notes, but the perfect prayer plan is one of my favorite things to talk about, where I went through the Gospels and looked at Jesus' prayer life and came out with 10 things that were consistent in his day-to-day living. The first four had to do with how often that he prayed. He prayed every morning to start the day. He prayed at the end of the day. He prayed before meals, every kind of meal, and he would often slip away to pray once per day. There are three things he consistently prayed about. He prayed that he might glorify God with a thankful heart. He prayed pleading for God to give him wisdom, and he asked God to heal him where he hurt. Those are certainly three things you should be praying every day. But the last three parts were this. Number eight, pray for those you love. Number nine, pray with those you love. And then finally, pray for those who don't love you. Jesus did this so incredibly on the cross where true enemies were ending his life. Stephen, while being stoned to death, was able to do the very same thing as a Christian in the book of Acts. As we close, I want to tell you three things you should be praying for your enemies. It's the same three things you pray for yourself. Pray that your enemies will learn to glorify God with a thankful heart. Pray that they will plead for God to give them wisdom. And pray that God will heal them where they hurt. I have written down in my journal regularly, by name, people who I can't figure out. Nothing I try to do makes a difference. So I'm asking God to make a difference. God give them a thankful heart. God give them wisdom and heal them. Maybe the path to restoration will come as a result of things that only God can do. In the meantime, let's be patient and let God do his work and commit to not being an obstacle in his way, faithfully devoted to loving your enemy. Thank you so much for joining in today. If you enjoyed this program, consider sharing it with your family and your friends. As always, you can go to excelstillmore.life to sign up for the email, order the three-month journal, or just catch up on old episodes. And also, if you are looking for financial advice or future planning, give John Cunningham a call today, 205-913-1720. And remember this, whatever you choose to do today in the name of the Lord Jesus, excel still more.